0: Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff of Lofstofan are grateful that you're joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The following was recorded on Sunday, July 10, 2022. Today's message title, How the Gospel Informs and Transforms Relationships. Our main point from last week
1: is still the same this week. And I would like to read it. And I do have it memorized, but I want to read it just to to be sure I get it right. Our main point is that our relationships with people must be informed and transformed by the gospel, Uh, they need to be informed in that we need to have an understanding of what Jesus has done for us. And then they need to be transformed in light of what Jesus has done for us. We need to act differently. We need to behave differently. We need to think differently. We need to treat people differently. And I think we see a very clear picture of that in this letter. And so Paul, he opens the letter, Um, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. So Paul's writing this with Timothy. Um, And he's writing specifically to Philemon. And this is a very unique letter amongst the writings of Paul. Um, Most letters he writes with the exception of Timothy and Titus are to churches. Uh, This is a personal letter. Um, And what's also different, what separates Philemon from the other Pauline letters in the New Testament is that Usually when, when Paul or when Peter or when whoever is writing to a church, they are writing to address a specific issue and they are usually outlining or clarifying some theology for the church in response to an issue or a situation that they're facing. In Philemon, there is no explicit theology laid out. However, there is quite a bit of applied theology in this. We see, we see basically how the gospel should change us. And we see how people in the early church were wrestling with the implications of, with what Jesus has done for them. Now, how ought I to live? And so we went through the first seven verses. Paul highlights Philemon's love and faith. And, you know, and he's verse seven says, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And so one of the challenges of last week is how can we what does it look like for us to refresh the hearts of the saints? May like we prayed, may this be said of us. May we be known for our thankfulness towards one another. We'd be May we be known for our encouragement towards one another. And so now with that, and still with our main point that our relationships with people must be both informed and transformed by the gospel. Now we jump into verse eight. And Paul says, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. And so, and I notice that just right off the bat is already maybe not what we would expect. You know, Onesimus, well, so Philemon, first of all, is, um, he's the head of a household. He lives in Colossae. Um, and Onesimus was a slave of his who has run away, has found Paul in Rome, um, and now is being sent back. And this letter is written uh, in roughly 62 AD. It's actually written at the same time as Ephesians and Colossians. And all three of these letters are sent by Paul while he's in prison in Rome to these churches. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll compare them a little bit uh, down the road as there's a bit of overlap, but Onesimus is, yeah, he's a runaway slave, he, but he's, he's become a convert now. He's come to understand the gospel of Jesus It's changed his heart and it's changed his life. Um, and Philemon, who Paul has been hearing about, you know, his, uh, you know, he says, I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus uh, and for all the saints. Uh, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. So, so Philemon, you know, he, he already has really been living out the truths of the gospel. He's already been like, his life is, has clearly been changed. Um, and Paul could you know, tell Ones- uh, he could tell Philemon in this letter, like he says, I, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required because while the New Testament doesn't ever explicitly condemn slavery or even other social institutions, the New Testament very clearly and very often undermines those social institutions that are incompatible with hearts changed by the gospel. And this is another instance, slavery is incompatible with the gospel. And so we see Paul undermining this here because when if everyone is yeah truly equal in christ then it doesn't really make sense to have masters and slaves that doesn't really that doesn't really work and it is it it is right that philemon free onesimus that he gives him his freedom that he treats him differently that is all correct and paul could say i'm an eyewitness to the resurrection to the resurrected christ jesus appeared to me on the road to damascus paul has the capital A apostolic authority. Paul has the authority to write things that are inspired and that the Holy Spirit is inspired that we consider scripture. And so he could say, I, Paul, writer of most of the New Testament, command you to free your slave, especially now that he's a brother, especially now that he's been saved, that he's come to understand what Jesus has done for him. Yet, for love's
2: sake, I prefer to appeal to you.
1: And isn't appealing over commanding usually more effective? Now, of course, command I'm not saying that we should never. Commands are necessary sometimes. God gives them. There's a reason God gives them because we just simply won't do them, otherwise. But especially in our interpersonal relationships, and especially you know, as you you know, as, as many of you you know, maybe have, you know, you have your spheres of influence and whatnot. And, and especially as, as Christians, if you're an older Christian, if, if someone is under you, whatever whatever that is, whatever that might look like, are not appeals generally more effective than commands. And even, even Jesus often appeals. He does give commands. Don't get me wrong. The New Testament is like, com, like so full of commands, but it's also full of appeals. Like, God relates to us first and foremost in his love for us. Like he knows that we're sinners and that we can't keep the commands he's given us. And so he relates to us in love. And that's the thing is when a heart has been changed by the gospel, when a life has been transformed, and when our relationships are being both informed and transformed, appeals are generally more effective. And they also give a chance for the other person. Like, if I command Kelvin, I'm sorry, I'm going to pick on you. You're right in my line of vision. Um, if I command Kelvin to do something, he might, he, honestly, he would probably do it because he's a really good guy. And he would probably do it. Um, assuming it wasn't you know, illegal or something, he would probably do it. But he might not be thrilled with me over it. Like, you know, maybe the first time he'd be okay with it, but If I just kept saying, Kelvin, do this. You have to do this. Kelvin, I'm an elder in this church. You have to do this. If I if I kept doing that, it would start to wear on him. He would start to be like, Man, I just I wish Elliot would like trust me once. Like, (laughs) I I want to serve this church. I want to do these things. I like I wish like if I keep commanding him, it's gonna burden him. Whereas I can appeal to him, I can ask, hey, I actually need your help, like, or this needs to get done and it, it should be done. I can appeal to him. And that is a much more joyful opportunity for Calvin to step forward and to do whatever it is or to behave, whatever it's like, whatever the, you put in whatever circumstances you want into that. Appeals are often far more effective than commands because as we see here in verse nine, it is for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. It allows us to express love for one another. And it allows that other person, as we appeal to them, it allows them to voluntarily and joyfully, not under compulsion, to live out the truths of the gospel. And this entire letter is one of appeal. I think we've seen that as as we've read it. There's You consistently see, so I appeal for you. I appeal to you. I appeal for my child, Anisimus. I appeal, I appeal, I appeal. And it's interesting because Paul is essentially asking Philemon to do what he's already praised Philemon for doing in the previous verses in four through seven. Because remember, um, so if you look at verse six, you look at verse six, it says, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And I wanna read that again, actually in a different translation because I had to stare at that. I think I said this last week, that I had to stare at this verse for a really long time. Um, the NLT, the New Living Translation says, and I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. And so Paul is essentially, he says, I'm praying for this. I'm praying that you're, you're, going to act a certain way because of what Jesus has done and now I'm appealing to you to do it. I'm giving you the opportunity to do it. And to us that might seem a bit forced like you know so a couple months ago to give you an example of this a couple months ago um we needed a guitar player. And so I asked Daniel if he would play guitar. But I did it in a very public place and I told him there's no pressure. And he looks at me and he goes, well, there kind of is. (laughs) Like, I can't really say no. (laughs) I'm like, oh, you you could say no. I said, you know what? How about this? We'll talk later. That way you can say no later. Um, And he said, yes, it was great. It was wonderful. But it was maybe a bit, you know, I, I believe that Daniel did this out of the goodness of his heart and whatnot, but this may feel a bit forced and contrived to us what Paul is saying. And yet I don't think that's, I don't know that that's true though. And if there is some of that, I actually don't know that it's wrong. You know, we we who are from the West, and again, we're a very international church. So like we have people from all over the place. At least reading this through Westernized, we probably see an infringement on personal liberties. And what we we should be able to decide independently what we want to do. The Bible is not written in that kind of culture. The Bible is written in a very communal culture, in a culture where the community is valued and I, I don't think it wrong and I don't, I don't think it should be wrong and we shouldn't consider it wrong to appeal to one another to live out the truths of the gospel that is what community is for and notice even too that Paul throughout this letter he's consistently using terms of affection either towards Philemon towards Onesimus towards um, towards others, um, our beloved fellow worker, our sister, our fellow
2: soldier, Timothy, our brother. I've
1: derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. There are consistent terms of appeal and of of just the, the the tone of this letter is one of affection, and I think that's important to our understanding of how our relationships ought to ought to change in light of the gospel. That there is an affection now, there is a gentleness. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. And so again, we I, I hit this last week, so I'm not gonna hit it super strong uh, this, this, this week, but Paul's continued perspective that he's a prisoner primarily for Christ Jesus because of what God has ordained, because of how God is working, because of what God's plan is. Paul is first and foremost a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Though we might, we might say it's more accurate that he's a prisoner for Rome because that's who has him and who's put him in, in his cell or wherever he's staying, not an expert on Roman prisons, but we see that the gospel needs to both inform and transform our relationships. And so verse 10, I appeal to you, you as Philemon, for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. That's quite a crazy verse, actually. Like, Onesimus is his former slave who runs away. They haven't known each other that long. It's been maybe a few years, tops, but most likely it hasn't. I don't think Paul let this sit. I don't think he let this situation sit and fester for years. But look at how he describes his relationship with Onesimus. I appeal to you for my child, whose father I became.
2: Something changed drastically.
1: And the gospel does that. The gospel changes our relationships. Well, first and foremost, our relationship with God, because that's the big one that needs to be changed. But then from that, our relationships with each other change drastically. And I'm not saying that you're going to start considering everyone your child and whatnot, but and everyone your father, but our relationships are going to change. And if they don't, that's cause for concern. If the gospel doesn't change and inform your relationships, you might have the wrong gospel. And we see with Onesimus, you know, we're gonna, we see in the next few verses, like Paul says, formerly he was useless to you. And later on we see, you know, Paul says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So we see that there, there's something between Onesimus and Philemon. Onesimus in some way wronged Philemon, whether it's monetary theft, whether it was just the shame of his behavior. However, whatever it is, Onesimus has wronged Philemon in some way. And we see a, just a complete transformation. And actually um, flip over with me just a few pages in your Bible back to Colossians. Because again, as I said, you know, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon are all sent by the same man, by Tychicus. And if you look back in Colossians four, this is in Paul's final greetings. um, You know, he's like, he says in verse seven of chapter four, Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you and they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. It's quite possible Philemon heard that and he's like faithful and beloved. What? Oh, that wasn't the case when he left, when he ran away. But here we are now, our faithful and beloved brother. That is how Paul describes Onesimus. Something changed. The gospel changed him. The good news of Jesus changed him. And if it doesn't change us, then we have their own gospel. And in verse 11, so we don't get this in, in English, but in the Greek, onesimus means useful or purposeful or beneficial. And in verse 11, Paul is using a play on words there. Like formerly, he was not onesimus to you. He was not useful to you. He was not beneficial to you. But now he is indeed onesimus to you and to me. The gospel changes relationships and it changes our lives. Now Onesimus is, he's faithful, he's beloved, he's encouraging, he builds up. It's quite possible even that Onesimus, uh, I'm, and I, we don't see this in the text, I'm extrapolating from changed relationships, but it's quite possible that Onesimus himself is like, yeah, Paul, I'm a runaway slave. I actually really, I didn't leave things well with, with my former master, well, with my master, with Philemon. Like, it may very well be that Onesimus initiated this. And even if he didn't initiate it, he's still willing to submit to Paul's appeal to him of like, hey, you need to make this right. We need to make this right.
2: Because Paul even says
1: in verse 13 of Philemon, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Like, Paul would... He would rather not send Onesimus back right now. Onesimus is useful to him. As the name implies, Onesimus
2: is useful to him. But
1: the thing is, is if Paul had kept Onesimus, then Philemon wouldn't have had this chance to actually live out the truths of the gospel. There still would have been this conflict, this unresolved conflict. And that actually is antithetical to the gospel that goes against the truths of the gospel
2: sorry it
1: sorry you know when you have a beard it starts to itch and it's just it's a problem and i yeah sorry about that um all that to say paul would have been glad to keep onesimus with him but i preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord because again the appeal is stronger than the command And yeah, again, Paul couldn't make Philemon free Onesimus. He could say, you know what? I'm keeping Onesimus. You need to free him and don't worry about it. And I'm going to keep him because he's useful to me. Paul could have done that, but that wouldn't. Yeah, that, I mean, I think, I, I don't know that I need to outline it too much. I think we can all see that. Obviously that wouldn't be beneficial really for everyone. Like, you know, Philemon is then forced to do this act that he may not want to. He may just, and he may not, he may kind of resent Paul on some level for using his authority that way, for making him do this. It's like, well, yeah, but I'm suffering loss for this. Like, you know, he would have just lost part of his household. And it was just going kind to of be, well, I guess this is what happens. It would have been a very unsatisfying ending. And more than unsatisfying, it would have been anti- antithetical to the truths of the gospel. And I wanna make that point that God doesn't
2: make us follow him. God does command us, don't get me wrong. Jesus is King and is Lord, but humans,
1: we make our own, we make our choices. And most of the time that choice is to sin. We see Adam and Eve did that in the garden. We know that the desires of our heart are evil. Bible tells us that.
2: And we also know that we can't contribute even an iota to our own salvation. But you don't see you do
1: see Jesus. He does say follow me. Not everyone did though. And Jesus didn't run after them and say, "No, no, I said follow me. Get over here."
2: I don't know how Jesus would have done that, but just my mental image, but Jesus didn't do that. He let people
1: walk. He was saddened when they did it. When the rich young ruler leaves, you know, it, the, Luke tells us that Jesus is filled with compassion
2: for him. He doesn't make him follow. He doesn't make the rich young ruler follow him.
1: And in the same way, if Paul had just made Philemon do this, this would have probably given rise to bitterness and maybe anger. But instead we see, we see the gospel lived out. We see love flourishing. We see people being willing to suffer loss for eternal gain. And Paul is looking at the big picture. So look with me at verse, verse 15. He says, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? Paul's looking at the big picture here and he's considering the sovereignty of God in this. Like, yes, Onesimus probably shouldn't have run away. And this was, you know, this was, this was not a good situation. There was conflict here, but We serve a God who's in the business of redeeming bad situations for his glory and for our good. And this is, I think what we see here. We see Onesimus being parted from Philemon for a while. So now Philemon receives him back, not just as a servant, not just as a slave, now as a brother, someone he's going to have an eternal relationship with now. Because both these two men are long dead, but they've been together in the presence of God for 1950 years or something,
2: approximately. Almost 2000 years. And that might not have happened if Onesimus hadn't run away because
1: God used that. He redeemed that situation. And I'm reminded of what Jesus tells his disciples. You know, he he tells them that if anyone does not give up, mother and brother and family, cannot be my disciples. And the disciples go, we've left everything for you. And Jesus says that anyone who has given up mother and brother and family will receive a hundredfold in this life and in the next. And that's the thing is when we come to Christ, suddenly we get all this. We get all these new relationships, new brothers, new sisters, new fathers, new mothers, new children even. And I can't help but think that I'm sure Paul has this, has that teaching of Jesus in mind. Maybe Philemon thinks of it too when he reads this letter and when he gets Anisimus back. You know, Anisimus probably came with Tychicus and said, hey man, here's this letter. Please read this before we talk. Maybe Philemon was thinking about this.
2: and I, I, I can't help but see this as a, as a fulfillment of Jesus's promise.
1: And it seems God is making good on that promise here. And so the point I want to make is uh, off of this is uh, with God's sovereignty and whatnot, regardless of the view you take on God's sovereignty, because even within our membership, there are different views on that. And with more visitors, I'm sure we've got a myriad of views on God's sovereignty. But regardless of the view you take on how that practically works itself out, we see God acting here. We see God redeeming situations. And we see humans making choices in response to the gospel and so in response to what God has done. And perhaps more central to the theme of the letter, we see that Philemon has the opportunity to live out the gospel that he's been saved by. Philemon gets to live out and act out the truths that have saved him. And consider consider the elements here because there is a very clear gospel
2: picture here. Onesimus is us. We're the sinners. We're the ones who ran away.
1: We ran from God. Philemon, in this sense, is God. He's the wronged party who has every right to exact justice. Remember, historically, too, runaway slaves, the normal, like the vast majority of runaway slaves who were caught were crucified for it. So Philemon has the right to exact justice. And Paul, in this case, is the intercessor. He's Jesus, who both pleads and appeals for Onesimus, but who also, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Isn't that what Jesus does with us? Before a holy and just God, whom we've all
2: sinned mightily against. And Jesus looks at us and says, The
1: wrong. He doesn't say if he's done wrong or if she's done wrong. He knows we've done wrong. The wrong that Elliot has done, charge that to my account.
2: And of course, Philemon, like,
1: of course, this this is an acting out of the gospel. Obviously, Philemon is not God. Paul is not Jesus. All three of these men are sinners who all need Jesus. But we see, a live action picture of the gospel, if you will, in the life of the early church here. Because remember our relationships with people need to be informed and transformed by the gospel. As so over 17, Paul says, if you consider me your partner, receive him, receive Onesimus as you, as you would receive me. Remember Onesimus is a slave and a runaway slave at that. what a market change from how Onesimus might've been received. I was like, receive Onesimus as if you were receiving literally one of the 12 apostles, one of the like pillars of the early church, one of the eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus.
2: And again, isn't
1: that how we're received? We're not received as, you know, we're not as slaves, as sinners. Like in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, the father runs, he puts a robe on the son. He puts a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Isn't that what God does to us? And again, verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. And Paul has this confidence in Philemon that he's gonna do even more than Paul's outline. Paul's already asked quite a bit. And yet he's confident that Philemon's gonna do even more than he asked.
2: And Jesus exhorted us to do the same, to go the extra mile, that's where we that saying at least in English comes from. Because when, when
1: our heart and when our life has been transformed by the gospel, it becomes, the longer we've been, we've been in that, the longer we've been walking with God, the easier it becomes to do more, to go that extra mile.
2: And especially if that person is your brother or sister or Christ. If Kelvin, if Kelvin asks
1: me for something and he needs help with something, well, I mean, I can just help him, I suppose, and just do that thing. But maybe I'd also want to like, if, if there's more to the situation, then yeah, I'd want to go that extra mile. I hope, I hope that my life would be changed that way, that I'd want to do that extra step, that I'd want to do more than that more than what he asked.
2: Paul says, I write to you,
1: knowing that you'll do even more than that say at the time to- at the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. And again, this is really forward for us. It would be really weird if I, you know, again, Calvin, I'm sorry man. I'm just I'm gonna keep using you. It'd be really weird if I message Calvin said, Hey man, prepare a guest room. I'm coming. <laughs> He'd be like okay, <laughs> when? <laughs> when are you coming? Um, it would, you know, that would, there would be all sorts of things there that wouldn't you know, probably stress him out more than anything. But Paul expects hospitality and he expects that Philemon's gonna pray for him. And those are normal things to expect and to ask for amongst brothers and sisters. And again, we are in a very individualistic society. As generally, Iceland, I found kind of toes the line between different types of cultures, but it's actually fascinating. But that's something for another time. Um, a lot of us in here come from a very individualistic mindset and an individualistic culture. And it's not normal for us to ask these things. Biblically, however, it is normal and it should be normal and it shouldn't ruffle us if someone does that we should be able to say, hey, pray for me and have the expectation that that person is actually going to pray for, for me or for, you know for you. Hospitality may look different in our culture, but there is an expectation that we practice hospitality amongst each other, that we take care of one another. That is a normal,
2: regular expectation of Christian community.
1: And even verse 20, again, so forward. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. When's the last time anyone said that to you? If someone's ever said that to you, please tell me because I'd like to know. But like if anyone's literally said, I want benefit from you and the Lord, refresh my heart in Christ. Again, these are normal things when we're in community. And especially when, when we value community, when we value our relationships with other people, because of what Jesus has done for us. These are normal things. And you don't have to turn here if you want to. I just want to read one verse out of Romans, actually, um, from Romans 1. Romans 1, verse 11, Paul says, again, Paul, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And I think that benefit in the Lord, Paul's already gotten that. In verse four, he says, I thank my God. This is back in Philemon, by the way. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And again, he's like, I want some of that. (laughs) I want to be built up by your faith. And that's normal. And we can ask for that. What would it look like
2: if we were that weird church that asked for that from each other? What if it was normal for us to
1: confidently ask for prayers from one another, knowing that that they would be done either right there on the spot or even if not right there on the spot, knowing that like, I'm going to be prayed for.
2: what would it look like for us
1: to benefit each other in the Lord? Verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So a couple of things before we jump to application. First of all, we made this point last week, I'm gonna make it again. Most of the letters in the New Testament are not written just by the person, by the one person. These are usually written with multiple people who are helping maybe edit, helping draft, whatever it is. Um, Maybe giving clarifying information about the situation that's going on, about the people that are being written to. And so again, it's small. It's easy to, we skip over the final greetings all the time, but they do show us a community and a strong community. And I want to highlight
2: Epaphras. Turn back with me to Colossians 4 again.
1: This time, verse 12. Colossians 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. And again, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. And for those in Laodicea, and Heropolis. And Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. These are the same guys who are mentioned in this letter. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And so
2: we see, yeah, like, I, I think I've made the point. We
1: see that this isn't done in isolation. These are the same people. And, and he mentions Mark and Aristarchus just above that. I didn't read those verses in Colossians, but he mentions them as well. They're all part of this. They're all, they're all invested in these churches, invested in the, the strengthening and the maturing of the faith of these believers. And he calls them my fellow workers. And then lastly, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And again, we made this point last week as Paul opens the letter in verse three with grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, grace and then peace in that order. And that is the gospel that we ran from God, like Onesimus, we ran from God.
2: We sinned against him and God ran after us and
1: extended grace to us so that we might have peace with him. If you're in here and you're not a Christian, if you don't understand what that means, if you've never accepted and surrendered to Jesus as your Lord and savior, then I'd love to talk to you. I'd love
2: to explain that more and walk with you through that.
1: And so what does this mean for us? What is this little letter that's a very specific situation in Colossae, which is modern day Turkey, what does this mean for us? Our relationships with people must be both informed and transformed by the gospel. What does that look like in your life? You don't need to answer me, but I wanted to give you a couple of seconds to ponder that. What, what does it look like for the gospel to inform and transform your relationships? And you may be sitting there going, well, they have been and praise God for that. I wanna push you though onwards and upwards into maturity. What does it look like to take another step in that?
2: We see Philemon living
1: out the gospel by absorbing the cost of Onesimus' behavior towards him. And we're not 100% sure, by the way, what Philemon does, but given the how this letter is circulated in the early church, it would be kind of odd if he hadn't done that. It seems very likely that Philemon did in fact do much more than Paul asked. Church tradition has it that Onesimus was given his freedom and that he actually became a bishop later on in Ephesus. So, um, Onesimus is a relatively common name, though, so we're not, we're not even remotely 100% sure about that. But, but Philemon, you know, the example we're given at least is one of absorbing the cost of someone's behavior towards us. So, whose behavior do you need to absorb the cost of? Is it your spouse? Is it a friend? Is it a coworker? Is it a sibling? Whose behavior do you need to absorb the cost of? We also see Paul seeking to reconcile people, seeking to reconcile two brothers. Is there someone you can help reconcile? Someone you can be
2: a, an agent of peace for? Is there a situation where
1: you, like Onesimus, need to own the wrong you've done and need to go back and seek forgiveness seek reconciliation?
2: And is there a situation where you can go the extra mile,
1: where you can do more than what was asked or what was expected? Be it in our relationships and how we treat people, our attitudes toward them. How can you go the extra mile? And that's the challenge.
2: How can we go the extra mile? And it's hard to do we, it's hard to live out these truths because, well, people are jerks to us sometimes. And it's, it's not fair that they shouldn't have to pay the cost of that. But again, the more we come to understand how much Jesus loved us and how much he has done for us, it becomes so much more natural for us to live out these truths. So I'm going to pray um, and then we're going
1: to take communion. Um, I'm going to pray and then I'll, I'll explain communion, but Jesus, thank you that you died for us. Jesus, thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to come and pay the penalty for all of our sins when you were completely innocent. The only one who has truly ever been innocent is you and you were willing to come and take all of our sins on yourself. And so Jesus, may we not be like the servant in the parable who was forgiven so much, but then couldn't forgive his fellow slave. May we not be like that, God. May we be quick to forgive and may we be slow to speak and slow to anger and quick to hear. May our relationships be both informed and transformed by the gospel. Holy Spirit, thank you for giving us Philemon. Thank you for including this in the Bible. Thank you for including this really practical, applied theology for us. Thank you for the word that you have given us, that you've inspired and that you illuminate for us. And you make us understand.
0: In Jesus name, amen. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kyrka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with The Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavogur, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland.